You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, the backlash from Canaan. Even in the ancient world, news traveled fast. We're told, now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this, because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Jerusalem was controlled by the Jebusites at this time. We first heard about this city of Jerusalem in Genesis 14, 18-20, when it was still called Salem, which means peace. But this is the first time this name is seen in Scripture. Interestingly, Adonai Zedek means Lord of Righteousness or Justice, whereas Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem and priest of God Most High, his name means King of Righteousness. So righteousness has always been associated with the city of Jerusalem from its inception. So they heard that large, powerful cities like Jericho and Ai had fallen to the Israelites under Joshua's leadership. This was a problem for them because it meant that these areas immediately to the north of Jerusalem were now under Israel's control. But what concerned them even more was that the people of Gibeon, one of their own cities, had made a peace treaty with Israel and had become their allies. This covenant also included three other cities. So they would have expected them to be able to fight instead since it was an important city, far more important than Ai, with a military reputation. He may have seen these cities as potential allies of theirs. Now Israel also controlled the area to the west of Jerusalem. What could that mean for their cities? Since Adonai Zedek's access to the north was cut off, he had to contact the kings in the southwest to form an alliance. So instead of following Gibeon's example, he decided to make Gibeon pay for such a betrayal. But at least they were smart enough not to try to attack Israel, although they may have thought to provoke them into battle. So the reason for their fear of Israel stemmed from God's promise that he would make them fear Israel and no one would be able to stand against them. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. So these five city-states would attack not just Gibeon, but the three other smaller cities who had also capitulated to Israel. And those cities are mentioned in Joshua 9.17. Verse 6, the appeal for help. The Gibeonites may have feared Israel earlier, and rightly so, but now they understood that they were in danger from their own neighbors. They were outnumbered. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. 
Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Listen to their desperation. Don't abandon us. We are your servants. Come up quickly. Save us. Help us. We have a powerful enemy. So in the previous chapter, we learned that Joshua and the Israelites had made a treaty not to harm the Gibeonites. If he had been unscrupulous, he could have searched for a loophole so he could escape his earlier commitment. Promising they could live only meant that Israel wouldn't kill them. Later, David would understand this and would not allow Abishai or anyone else to kill Saul. But he left it to God to bring him justice and relief from his enemy. But even though they had been deceived, even an oath made under false pretenses had to be honored because it was done in the Lord's name. Israel now had a duty to protect them, as he had Rahab and her family. Now the strength of this vow would be tested. Verses 7-9, to nine, Joshua's Strategy There was the chance that God would see Israel's covenant with Gibeon as a failure, like Achan's sin, and fail to come to their aid. After all, there is no word from God on the matter in the previous chapter. For all they knew, they could have been embarking on another situation like the first assault on Ai. But since they were determined to be faithful to the covenant they made, God was also faithful to them, although one could argue that God would have been faithful to his covenant regardless. So at this news, Joshua may have had some fear. After all, this was a situation with multiple enemies ganging up against people inexperienced at warfare. But God comforted him, so he did not hesitate to come to their aid. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. God encouraged Joshua before the battle that the outcome was sure they would be victorious because God had planned it. Their coming to him was actually beneficial. It would be easier to defeat these city-states if they weren't in their fortified cities. And what would normally have required months to years to accomplish through siege warfare, God would accomplish in one long day. Yet Joshua didn't presume on a miracle to help them. He took his whole army and best fighting men and went on an all-night march from Gilgal to spring a surprise attack. Let's not assume this was easy. The appeal for help happened quickly, so these soldiers would have already been awake all day. Then they had to march all night a distance of 20 miles at a quick pace and then uh, fight all the next day which we'll see ended up being the longest day. So in spite of God's help, they still put in effort. So this is a positive example of fulfilling a vow. In Judges 21, at a low point in the nation's history, the Israelites had made a rash vow, saying they wouldn't give any of their daughters as wives to the wicked Benjamites, threatening the extinction of a tribe of Israel. So they came up with a way to fulfill the letter of their vow, even though it involved kidnapping women. That's in Judges 21. So in this case, if Joshua was looking for a loophole, he could have left Gibeon to defend itself. It may have fallen, someone else would be technically responsible, and the Gibeonites wouldn't have been his responsibility anymore. But he did not do that. Verses 10-11, to 11, Hailstones from Heaven 
the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and Joshua was not a perfect leader. Here we see his concern is to remind the Israelites that God is with them and is slowly giving them the land through these military victories. Then Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies on five poles, and they were left hanging on the poles until evening. At sunset Joshua gave the order, and they took them down from the poles and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. So that always means to the day that this was written. So the corpses were impaled. People were not crucified at this point in time but they were put there as an example of someone who was cursed by God. Yet Joshua followed God's instructions to remove the bodies before sunset, even though they were enemies. And we studied the significance of this in relation to Jesus' crucifixion in chapter 8. So I won't repeat it. Verses 28 to 43, Southern Cities Conquered. What follows is a list of six cities south of Jericho, which Joshua attacked. These were the cities that had attacked Gibeon, except for Jerusalem. He left no survivors in any of the cities. He moved methodically from one city to the next, from first Makeda, which had harbored the five fugitive kings, then Libna, about seven miles south, then Lachish. Lachish took two days since Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help them, but they were also defeated. Then he moved on to Eglon, Hebron, and Debir. He treated those cities as they had Jericho, except they were able to take the spoil. The refrain, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho, show that these victories are linked to what came before. Jericho showed what could happen when they were obedient to God's commands, while Ai showed the result of disobedience and the difference repentance and discipline make. Joshua is learning from past mistakes, both his own and those of his people. Israel has now gained control of the south. While they attacked the cities and killed the inhabitants, they did not burn the cities but took them over, because what use would ruins be to them? So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. So this Goshen was a town south of Hebron, not the one in Egypt. This was one long sustained battle campaign and the reason it was successful was because God fought for Israel. They controlled the region as far north as Gibeon, as far west as Gaza, and as far south as Kadesh Barnea. Then they all returned to their base camp at Gilgal, again with no losses. The phrase Joshua and all Israel occurs nine times in this chapter alone, emphasizing their unity of purpose. At the beginning of the chapter, the Israelites were unsure if their covenant with Gibeon had put their relationship with God at risk, but these victories validated 
Joshua's commitment to keep his promise and defend the Gibeonites. This proved God's word, those who honor me, I will honor. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? When Gibeon sided with Israel and Israel's God, their former friends turned on them. We should not be surprised that our former friends treat us with scorn once we are saved. Jesus said the world would love us if we were part of them, but since he has chosen us out of the world, the world hates us, as it hated him. Peter said, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So Gibeon was attacked because it was in a covenant relationship with Joshua. Believers are in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the new covenant. The coalition of the enemy states realized they could not get to Joshua, so they attacked those in covenant with him. The world hates Christ, but they cannot get at him, so they attack those who are in covenant with him. Yet Gibeon was assured that Joshua would come to their aid. Joshua was assured that God was with them and had given them the victory. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? We don't need to fear because he has overcome the world. Israel's failure demonstrated by their covenant with the Gibeonites may have caused God to abandon them, but he remained faithful. He gave them victory. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself, which is his faithful character. The strength of the vow made by Joshua and the leaders of Israel was immediately tested, yet they stayed true to their word. When we make a vow, we must follow through, even if it costs us. Our word should be trustworthy. God rained hailstones down on the enemy. Hail was one of the plagues on Egypt. And at the end, one of the final punishments is giant hailstones. Joshua prayed an audacious prayer in faith, and God answered with an amazing miracle, and the longest day was the result. Jesus said, if we had faith, we could move mountains. The five kings hid in a cave, sealed with rocks and guarded. Jesus was buried in a cave that was sealed with a rock and guarded. But neither cave could hold their prisoners. Those five kings emerged to face justice, Jesus emerged victorious. Just as the people of Noah's day reached their full measure of rebellion and sin and the flood came, as did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, so now the sin of the Amorites was full, so God used Joshua and Israel to exact his vengeance and justice on them. This was not Joshua or the people of Israel acting independently to execute innocent people, but God punishing wicked people. One day, God's patience will run out on our world, and judgment will fall with Jesus as the warrior judge. But for now, it is still the day of grace. Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It is important to always be aware of where in redemptive history the narrative we are reading takes place. 
Here the promises of God were tied to the land. They had not yet inherited it. All of this was foundational so that Israel would be established and that one day Jesus the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and would be crucified and resurrected in Jerusalem. Now in the new covenant we are not promised a geographical piece of property, but we will inherit the whole earth. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Joshua chapter 11. May God bless the study of his word.